welcome, welcome to the World Football Index Group H Preview Podcast. I have four experts for four nations competing in this group. I have three of them with me today, and there's also a really in-depth look at Japan from Dan Olowitz towards the end of this pod. So stay tuned for that. If you listened to the Group 8 podcast with me the other day, then you'll know I'll not only be asking them to tell the listeners a bit about themselves, we'll also find out what their favourite World Cup of their lifetime is. So I'm going to start with the top seed in the group, Poland, and our representative for them is Ryan Hubbard. Welcome to the pod, Ryan. How are you? And uh, tell us your favourite World Cup to date. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm great, thank you. Um, it's difficult to say, really. It's, it feels, uh, looking back over the World Cups in my lifetime, I think that I would have enjoyed 94 had, not, had I not been so young at the time. So I'd have to probably plump for 1998 in France. Uh, it was my first proper um, introduction to the World Cup, I suppose. Uh, having missed out on the majority of 1994, uh, I think it with it being such a novelty at the time, I think looking at that French team as well, uh, the famous Brazil-France uh, final, Roberto Carlos, uh, Ronaldo, the, the whole thing with him just uh, brings back some fantastic memories. Yeah, and the first 32 World, 30 team two World Cup as well. So, yeah. Um, also joining us today is Simon Edwards, a regular on this network, especially on the South American Football Show with me, so you've probably heard his voice before, but I'll let him introduce himself anyway for any new listeners and uh, also find out what his favourite World Cup is today. So, yeah, Simon Edwards, uh, based here in Colombia, in Medellin. Uh, my favourite World Cup. See, 94 would have maybe been my first introduction, but England weren't playing and I was too young, so I didn't really care. And 96 was probably peak football obsession as a kid. So then I suppose 98. Uh, and I think probably my favourite game would have been that England-Argentina game if I'd actually watched it. But I was on a school trip and we were naughty the night before. So we were all locked up in our in our bunk room and Craig Musica was the only person who was allowed to watch it and he knew nothing about football. So he he, he, came, he kept coming up and saying, OK, England scored, Martin here. And then we're going, he's not playing. How can he score? So that was, uh, yeah, a bit of a disappointment, but also, you know, a very interesting tournament. And the last one Colombia played in as well uh, for a long time before 2014. OK, and also joining me today is Joseph Lasori. Is that how you pronounce it, Joseph? That, that is how you pronounce it, mate. Okay, cool. And uh, and you're going to be our Senegal representative today. So tell us a little bit about yourself and also um, tell us your favourite World Cup today. Indeed, yeah. I'm Joseph. Everyone calls me Joey. Um, I am the African football correspondent for another podcast, Shoot the Defence. And I come on often during the AFCON season or when the World Cup's coming up to just talk a bit about the African football, uh, football teams that are playing. As for my own personal favourite World Cup... Um, probably an unpopular choice seeing as it was quite boring for most people, but it would be the 2006 one because that's probably what really uh, woke my eyes up to football, the game. I really enjoyed, uh, well, I really supported uh, uh, Italy with a friend of mine from the beginning and they ended up winning it. So that's definitely the point where I became a football fan for real, for real. Okay, very cool. Um, So we're going to get started with a bit of a chat about Poland to begin with. So, Ryan, what are the expectations there in Poland for this World Cup? Because 
for me, looking at it, the Poles had an impressive qualifying campaign, but we've seen that before, and then they've kind of faltered on the big stage um, in, in kind of the modern era anyway. Do you think it will be different this time around, and this could be a World Cup to match their glorious runs in Germany 74 and Spain 82? I think if any World Cup has come at the right time point, it's this one. Uh, this Poland team over the last uh, two to four years has just only been getting better and better. Uh, you can probably see that uh, reflected in their world ranking. I think they've been up to as high as fifth. Um, a lot of, they have played the system to do that. They've not played any friendly games. Uh, so, you know, the, it's been a very calculated thing from them. But like you said, their qualifying campaigns have been, for the last two tournaments, have been massively impressive. Uh, and you know he's spearheaded by Lewandowski. Uh, you know he's he's already passed Wojciech Lubanski as the highest goal scorer in Polish international history. Uh, and you know this team is largely built around him. You'd have to say it's their best chance of actually doing something in a World Cup since those '74 and '82 tournaments. Cool. Um, um, and what do you see as kind of the strengths and weaknesses of this Poland side? Because on paper, it seems that they have plenty of goals in them, at least. Uh, they scored quite a lot in qualifying, uh, but they also conceded quite a few too. Um, so can we expect quite a few goals in games involving Poland in this World Cup? I, I think it is going to be a case of, you know, we're going to try and score one more than you. Uh you have to say that the strongest point is obviously their attack. Uh, you know, uh, besides Lewandowski, you've got players like Arkadiusz Milik, uh, Jakub Wojciechowski, Kamil Grosicki, uh, even Piotr Zielinski from uh, who plays for Napoli. Uh, they've got goals in them. They can score. You know, any one of those players can score goals. But like you say, they do concede a lot. Um, you would have to say the defence is the weakest point. Um, Arguably, you'd say left back is is a particular weak spot for them, but they've been dealt a massive blow in the last day or so. With um, looks like uh, the forced omission of Camille Glick, the the massively imposing centre back uh, who plays for Monaco. Uh, the squad was announced yesterday. He was named in the squad, but uh, just a couple of hours before the uh, the announcement, he actually injured himself trying to perform a bicycle kick whilst they're playing foot tennis in training. So it looks like he, he could miss the tournament now, which would be an absolute massive blow uh, for the Polish defence. You know, he's the he's the, the key man in the heart of that defence. He's the one with all the experience and uh, missing him could be a massive loss for Poland. And apart from, say, the obvious names in, the, in this Polish side, and one of them there sounds like he's out anyway, um, what, what do you see as kind of the, the players to look out for, uh, which maybe the regular football fan uh, doesn't know too much about? You would probably have to say that the probably one player to look out for, he's starting to become a bit more well-known, but this could effectively be his breakout tournament, is Piotr Zielinski. Uh, you know, he's been very impressive over the last couple of years for Napoli. Uh, if, if he's going to make a mark on the world game, you know, uh, and that move to an even bigger league, uh, you would have to say it would be on the back of this tournament. Uh, there's a couple of other names, perhaps. Uh, Carol Linetti, who plays for Sampdoria, who, who looks like he might be a big part of the team. Um, yeah, and possibly even if, if Lewandowski's struggling, uh, the one name would be his Sampdoria teammate, David Kotnatsky, who has performed quite well for the under-21 team before he's he's uh, been included uh, in the squad. And, you know, he, he's got potential to score a couple of goals as well. 
Okay, I'll I'll come back to Poland uh, a bit later. Uh, For now, we're going to move on to have a look at Colombia with Simon. So, Simon, I feel like we've discussed uh, Colombia quite a lot together over the past few years. So, I'll just just quickly introduce this one. So, the expectations there in Colombia, I I think, are... are fairly high, I think that's fair to say, after you know reaching the quarterfinals of the 2014 World Cup. I think you know the, the minimum aim is to match that performance. Um, so do you think that they're capable of, of matching that expectation, or, or do you think that they could well fall short this time around? Yeah, I mean, in terms of expectations, <clears throat> for those with short memories, I think they're quite high. Uh, looking at the players that Colombia have in the squad, I think there's lots of reason for optimism. But those who do look back over the qualifying campaign may be a little less you know, confident. Um, obviously, we've seen Peckerman use 73 players since that quarterfinal uh, performance. And you know, a lot of them have come and gone, many of them not really of the level required. Quite a reactionary, a responsive uh, approach in qualifying, depending on the opponent's not really asserting the side, uh, the qualities the side have. But, you know, they, they made it through qualifying, which, you know, isn't easy, as, as you there in Chile know very well. Um, so job done in that regard. In terms of expectations for the tournament, I would say get out the group, which, you know, I, I think Colombia on paper have the quality to probably, and again, it's interesting to hear um, what the other experts have to say, but probably will be one of the favourites, I'd say, in this evenly uh, matched group get out the group and then hopefully get through to face one of the kind of the big European sides. I think that's one of the things the Colombians are looking to do this tournament is have a big high profile game to kind of uh, be, be the focal point of, you know, you look back at 2018, we had that win over England or perhaps Belgium as well. Um, so getting out the group and then it'll probably be England or Belgium, which is going to be difficult. I would say on paper, Colombia are stronger than England and on paper, probably weaker than Belgium. But Belgium obviously at times haven't fulfilled that potential and that quality they have. So I think that is kind of the aim for Colombia. Get out of the group. Then I think it may be a step up in quality uh, in the next round or step down, <laughs> depending what your thoughts are on England. But definitely a more high profile second round game uh, for the Colombian fans perspective and uh, take it from there, really. I think uh, that's kind of the position for Colombia at the moment. Okay, and and what do you see as kind of the strengths and weaknesses of this Colombia side? I, I think the obvious weakness I, I think we've possibly touched on already, and that and that is the fact that Pekerman used just so many players in qualifying. If I compare this Colombia side to the one going into the 2014 World Cup, it it doesn't feel quite as much of a cohesive unit. As we as we saw in Brazil four years ago, um, so is there is there out, uh, any other weaknesses aside from that, and uh, and 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 also highlight some of their strengths too? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, and this is going to sound kind of crazy, but the combination of Falcao and Hammers, I think, is very very important and also potentially problematic. <clears throat> Falcao before twenty fourteen uh, always played for Colombia with a with a strike partner often. Teofilo Gutierrez and at the time Teofilo Gutierrez wasn't the best the second best striker Colombia had but he was an intelligent player who could do the dirty work do the link-up play connect with the midfield and allow Falcao to drift out of the game and then pop up in the in the last minute and and score that goal um I think Falcao is much much better with someone alongside him his hold-up play 
isn't great, to be honest. If he's isolated, he's fairly useless, to be honest. And and again, you can't drop Falcao. He's Colombia's best goal scorer. But I think uh, with Falcao alone, it does limit Colombia's chances. And it would be less of an issue if Hammers, for example, was closer to Falcao and provided that link. But for Colombia, Hammers does everything. He, he'll drop back, collect the ball from the goalkeeper, collect it from the fullbacks. He'll be in, in the opposition penalty box. He'll be everywhere. But it also means that if you do have to play into Falcao, then he hasn't really got anywhere to go. So that for me is the issue. Colombia's players are perfectly suited to a 4-2-3-1, apart from Falcao, who just really isn't. So that for me is a concern. Falcao is massively important and getting the best from him really does require a little bit of tactical tinkering and a bit of nous. Elsewhere in the squad, I think the the most the biggest threat Colombia will provide will be a combination of the wingers and the fullbacks overlapping and James utilising the space that kind of opens up with Colombia stretching the game. Uh, at fullback, they have Frank Fabra on the left and Santiago Arias on the right. Both very good at getting forward, very athletic, very quick and skillful. Um, not the strongest of defenders. Again, another potential weakness on the counter. You know, I've seen maybe Poland could get in behind, could be an issue. Um, but the width of those two combined with Cuadrado on the right and then probably Isqueiro, maybe Muriel on the left wing. You know, there's four very pacey, dangerous wingers. Hammers will then pick up the ball in the midfield and they'll try to work in spaces and, and get it through uh, to, to, to Falcao. The central defenders could be a potential strength and could be a potential weakness. We're looking at Davinson Sanchez and Jerry Mina, two incredibly imposing, powerful, strong, fairly quick as well defenders who are going to bully most opposition, but they're also inexperienced. And Jerry Mina hasn't had the best start at Barcelona, to say the least. So while they're both very, very talented, I do I do have a concern that maybe they'll drop off for 30 seconds and, and with Lewandowski in the box and, and the other face, strikers they'll face in the tournament, that could be enough to kind of lose some of the, the good work Colombia do. And then finally, Ospina, again, could be a great strength. He's been very, very good for Colombia. The commentators here are always talk tranquilo whenever he makes a save. Hey, relax. We've got, we've got Ospina. He'll save the day. And in the last year, he, you know, he hasn't left anyone really relaxed with his handling. So while he can be a difference maker for the good, you know, he's also been a bit of a difference maker for the bad recently. So, again, lots and lots of talent. Combine that with Carlos Sanchez, who's always great for Colombia in the midfield, alongside maybe Matias Oribe, who's kind of a dynamic passer, or Wilma Barrios, who's a great ball winner. There's a lot of really exciting things in this Colombia team. Quintero coming off the bench, a really great creative player. So there's lots of good things, but I can also see a few potential disasters if uh, you know a bit of lack of experience or the the formation doesn't quite fall into places as it might do. Okay, I'll come back to you a little bit later, Simon, to to talk about some players to look out for. Um, I want to bring Joe into the discussion now. So Senegal, um, I have to say, because of their performances in the 2002 World Cup, Senegal hold a place in my heart. Um, I had a bet on them to win the opening game against France. And it, and it was done after they had, they had impressed me in the African Cup of Nations that year. Um, so it's a shame that we've had to wait 16 years uh, to see them back in, 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 in the big one. And, uh, and since they've qualified, I've, I've kind of been excited uh, about seeing them again. Um, and they've got quite a few exciting players in their side, and I was hopeful of being entertained. However, doing my research for this pod, um, I believe the view among 
Senegal fans and uh, and African football experts in general is that is that they play too negatively. Um, do you agree with that assessment? And and also, what are the expectations this time around? Indeed, right. So you're calling back to the uh, 2002 Senegal team, uh, stretching from uh, Ali Cisse at the back to Diouf at the front. Brilliant, brilliant team. Loved watching them. And there's a general consensus that this team is this 2018 version of Senegal is better than that team. Their strength is their spine. It goes all the way from the back to the front with Diallo in goal, Koulibaly and Mboji centre back, Indaye um, and Gwe and Kayute uh, stretching forward to even the star man Stadio Mane. The issue with Senegal, as you rightly put it, is that they have been playing quite negative throughout the campaign. Uh, even though they beat Burkina Faso, even though they beat South Africa after um, their match was replayed due to a, a referee not having the greatest game, should I say, and after beating Cape Verde, who you know have come up in African football recently, uh, a lot that was said, or well, the main thing that was said, was that actually these are teams that they should be dominating 4-5-0 because of the amount of attacking prowess that they have with players like Niang, with players like Sako, Sadio Mane, Balde Diaw, uh, Keita Balde. So... It, there's been a bit of a hesitance to or, he, or hesitancy to get behind the Senegalese team from the Senegalese people. However, looking at the strength of this team on paper, you you could back them and you could make an argu- uh, argument for them to win this group because you cannot see many weak links. Again, um, a lot of the issue that the uh, issues that you know us Africans have with Senegal is actually due to uh, Ali Ucisse and his uh, sometimes tactical negligence of you know using his his players in the correct way so for instance um Mane uh, becoming a number nine at some points when in fact he would be better out wide and you know not using the pace he plays in the squad effectively so definitely there's a hesitancy to get behind them however I do have faith that um they'll be able to win this group actually um having seen Poland play a few times and knowing a little bit about Colombia not knowing so much about Japan but yeah yeah, I, I like the fact that they've at least stuck with Sissé. Uh, he was he was captain of the 2002 uh, side, if I if I recall correctly. And and we've also seen from African sides um, going to previous World Cups um, in recent years, where the manager who got them there is then kind of bizarrely kind of sacked sometimes just weeks before the tournament begins. And mm-hmm. uh, and replaced by sort of a European coach, um, and 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 they end up looking very disjointed in the competition. So I'm at least hopeful that this Senegal side will will look a cohesive unit in this competition. What do you see as their strengths and weaknesses? So their strength uh, is Sadio Mane. That's 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 their main guy that's been taking him throughout the whole tournament. He didn't quite show his best in the African Nations Cup, having a, a, a scored the or missed the uh, the penalty that would have won them the game in the penalty shootout against Cameroon. Um, however, he he you know we, we know we know what he brings to Liverpool, and he brings that same energy and that same passion and that same uh, skill set to Senegal as well. However. In saying that, they are definitely not a one-man team. They've got the leadership of Koulibaly at the back. And that partnership with Mboji is very, very, very strong. They've got a, a really dynamic midfield. And I would my, my issue with the midfield, however, is that even though they're really strong and, they're re- and they, they have the ability to control a game with short passes, when it comes to actually finding those front three of 
potentially Mane, potentially Diafra Sacco, maybe Ismaili Assam, maybe Keita um, Balde. Potentially finding those people definitely become an issue going forward um, if they're not carrying the ball, i.e. their long passing from the midfield and from defence. So that's definitely where I see them uh, potentially giving things away if they are controlling the game. If they're allowed to sit back and play on the counter-attack, then I see them being successful with that route. But if they're playing against a team that doesn't want to play and they have to force the issue, then I can see them getting exposed as well. Well, I'll come back to you later about some players to look out for that people haven't heard of. But I'm just going to um, turn back to to Ryan now um, after he's heard what, what you guys have had to say about Colombia and Senegal. Um, I can tell you guys that I recorded an insert with Dan Olowitz on, on Japan and he was very negative about their chances and he basically said, say hi to the other guys and, uh, and say that they don't have much to worry about. So, <laughs> um, so if, if we, if we did dismiss Japan for this discussion for a little bit, um, you know, how do you see Poland's route out of this group? Ryan. Um, and even before listening to the other guys, you know, I think this is one of the tightest, if not the tightest groups in the whole tournament. Uh, you know, c- considering there are so many places in the world rankings between the four teams, uh, you would have to say that majority, even, even including Japan into that equation, you'd have to say that they are very or relatively even matched. Um, you know, Senegal are a bit of an unknown quantity for the Poles. Um, they've never they've never met them in their uh, entire footballing history. Uh, Colombia, obviously, will a little bit more will be known about, and therefore, you would have to say that they would probably be the team that are most feared. Um, so, and the Senegal game is the first game as well. So, it's you'd have to say that they will be looking at anything other than a win against Senegal would be a bit of a disappointment. Um, obviously you'd be leaving yourself with quite a bit to do at that stage you would ideally look to the Poles would be looking to win the group there's there's no doubt about that but to be honest they'd, be, they'd take second place any day of the week and I think you, you've also got to look at it the second round game would either be against Belgium or England if that was uh, if they do get through and again that's another tight group where you're not entirely sure which way that will swing so you're not really going to know whether it's going to be best to win the group or finish second. Um, I think it's, it's just a case of getting out of the group for the polls. Um, Senegal are going to be a tough game in the first game. If you get a win there, I think a lot of people will be very confident that, that they can progress. Okay. And, and Simon, the same question to you about, you know, Colombia's route out of this group, but also if you could just tell the listeners, Perhaps some players to look out for. I think what's interesting for me is, of course, Falcao missed the 2014 World Cup. And that I think that his absence ended up helping James Rodriguez sort of become one of the breakout stars in 2014. Um, is, is there any player in this Colombian side who could have an impact like we saw from James? In terms of progression from the group, uh, very, very pleasing to hear that Japan are rubbish. Um, we'll see. I'm sure maybe maybe there's a bit of careful pessimism on that part. You know, I, I'm sure they're not as bad as as all that, but that, that's good to hear. Um, in terms of the other rivals, well, I think it's two different challenges. I think three different challenges really. Um, again, we'll, we'll see what Japan provide, but generally they're organised and technically 
very good. Um, that could be an issue in terms of keeping possession and maybe frustrating Colombia. With Senegal, it sounds like they're going to be a side that match Colombia in terms of physicality, in terms of pace and strength. Um, so hopefully, James Rodriguez, a bit of guile and a bit of creativity, maybe Quintero coming off the bench can be the difference in that one. And then Poland, again, I think um, the, the concern is a couple of mistakes in the box could leave Lewandowski open, maybe a dropped cross from Ospino or uh, a lapse in concentration from Mina. So while I am confident Colombia can progress from this group, I can see lots and lots of ways that it could go terribly wrong. Um, in terms of players to watch, I think this Colombia team isn't massively young, but there's four or five players I think are going to move to Europe after this tournament. And for many European fans, this will be the first time that they see them. So in terms of the midfield, Carlos Sanchez will play with either Wilma Barrios or Mateo Soribe, I would, I would believe. So Barrios plays for Boca Juniors. A real great all-action, ball-winning midfielder. Very tenacious, good on the ball. We've done a Spotlight podcast as well on him, so you can check that out on the World Football Index feed. Um, but he's off to Tottenham, it looks like. And he'll be an interesting player, really nice ball winner. Either he or Matias Oribe. Matias Oribe is a bit more attacking, but he's a very versatile, responsible player. He's now 27 years old, so he's not particularly young. But of a late developer, really. Uh, but he's been attracting interest from the likes of Real Madrid. So... He's definitely one to watch out for. Um, we'll have to see what he does. But he's a very useful, all-round, good quality technical player who can also track back and defend. In terms of the fullbacks, Frank Fabra at Boca Juniors is is on the radar for Everton. Very, very good going forward. Very skillful. You know, could score a goal, could get a few assists. Um, maybe, maybe caught out in defence. Not the best defensively. Works hard and is tenacious, but not the most intelligent defensively. So we'll have to see. Uh, and finally, I think Jerry Mina will be an interesting one to watch. Obviously, a hugely impressive defender on his day, but has looked a bit shaky joining Barcelona. Obviously, Barcelona is a difficult club to join, especially as a defender. You're expected to be basically a playmaker. Um, but I think maybe we'll see his best football in Russia. And I think a lot of fans may realise some of the qualities that he has and why Barcelona was so keen to sign him up. So I think those players who... We may see for the first time for some European fans uh, and could have a big impact on the tournament. Uh, and they probably will all start or one or one of uh, Barrios or, or Arriba in the middle. But that will feature at the World Cup. So we'll see how they do. OK. And, and Joe, let's, let's have a look at Senegal then. Because on paper, they've got some really good attacking players such as uh, Sadio Mane to, and, uh, and another one you mentioned earlier, the young talent in the side, Keita Bari. Um, People may have heard of those already. Um, and there's also Idris Gay, who's obviously a regular in the Premier League with, with Everton. And then you've got Kulabaili, who you've also mentioned a few times already, who's been a rock uh, for Napoli. And, uh, and, and he's also proved a threat in the, other, in the other box, as we saw in that dramatic game against Juventus at the end of uh, the Italian season. So, apart, apart from those names, is there anybody else perhaps uh, we can look out for uh, during this World Cup? And, uh, mm. and also, maybe you could tell us what you see as Senegal's most likely route out of this group. Sure. Okay, so in terms of the player to watch out for, he's probably not going to start, but he'll probably most definitely come off the bench. And it was a man uh, who Barcelona were quite interested in, actually, after uh, the sale of Neymar, a guy by the name of Ismail Yassar, who's now at uh, League One side, Rance. 
and he is a baller. I don't know how to put it in, in any other words. He's fast, skillful, strong, can shoot, can pick the right pass whenever he needs to, can cross from the wide areas and cut it inside. So definitely, um, if the if uh, Keita Balde or Sadio Mane potentially aren't having a good day, then he can come in and really be the difference maker for Senegal. So I'd be, definitely be wary of him as a, as a Polish, Colombian or Japanese fan. In terms of their way out of the group, obviously they play Poland first and that that match is probably going to be, I guess, the decider for who goes um, through between Poland and Senegal, in my eyes. I see Colombia and Senegal going through and I see that that first match is really important. Um, it's going to be a difficult game. I saw Poland against uh, Nigeria... Uh, that they lost 1-0. And even though they did lose, they created so many chances. And you can see that on their day, actually, when it clicks together, they can be actually a real force to be reckoned with. So definitely uh, the the defence of, again, Koulibaly and Mboji and the goalkeeper Diallo and potentially playing Kasama and Sabali uh, right and left. Sabali, who's, often a, who's normally a right, right, right back, probably going to uh, slot into the left position. That will be that defense will have to really keep up with them, and the midfield will definitely have to be pressing on them. And I see the physical, the physicality of the midfield and them sitting back as an advantage, as a plus, as a way to get, as a way to stifle the the powers of Lewandowski and actually go in and actually make their own chances. The match against Japan is probably the wild card that I won't know much about because again, I don't know too much about Japan. What I do know is that again, you know, Senegal have a very good squad, so I'm sure. With, uh, they'll be able to make the right substitutions if necessary to create or create a different style because they have played with a few different styles during qualifying, um, not just the four three three, but also the four two three one as well, which has been really good. Um, potentially playing Mami Biram Diouf of Stoke up front there is you know the guy to hold up the ball as well. With the last match against Colombia, I potentially feel like Colombia could be through at that point. If not, then definitely it'll take something really big to, uh, to, to, to to take him off of that spot. So definitely it'll be a situation where Senegal really needs to come with their A game. But at the same time, having that game last is definitely better than having that game first or second. OK, that's great. Um, before we go around the virtual table and find out where people can find you on Twitter and if, and if you guys have got anything to, to plug... At this point, we're just going to hear about Japan and their chances in this World Cup. Okay, um, with me today to discuss Japan's chances in, in Russia is Dan Olowitz. How, how are you, Dan? Um, maybe just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, great, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I have uh, lived in Japan for, I guess, uh, about going on 12 years now. Uh, I currently write about uh, the J-League and Japan's national team uh, for footballtribe.com and uh, contribute to a number of other podcasts and uh, other projects. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, great to be on. Uh, Maybe not so exciting uh, this time around for Japan, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah, so so let's... uh... Let's let's discuss um, how Japan got there. First of all, so they topped a group containing fellow World Cup qualifiers Australia and Saudi Arabia. 
Um, but I understand this time around, compared to maybe previous qualifying campaigns, they weren't quite as convincing as they have been. Um, is that fair to say? It's fair to say in some ways. Certainly uh, the, the stars who you would expect to consistently give great performances on the pitch uh, never did so. And by that, uh, I mean players such as Shinji Kagawa, uh, Keisuke Honda, Shinji Okazaki, uh, the, the the big three uh, in, in Japan, they, they didn't cr- really quite have it. And uh, the then head coach for the side, Vahid Halilhojic, who is now the former head coach, uh, brought on a, n- a number of players. He used, I believe, over 30 players in total in, in this uh, qualifying campaign, which consisted of uh, two group stages for Japan. A- and it's... Uh, the media were never convinced of Japan's performances, uh, probably until the 2-0 win against Australia last August, and that was the result that put Japan, clinched uh, Japan's spot in the World Cup, and that was a very convincing performance. Uh, yeah, I did. I did catch some of that game actually. Yeah, I remember it, and I, I remember being pretty impressed at the time. But I remember commentators saying that that was sort of a. Um, a bit of an outlier, really, um, compared to a lot of their previous performances. They never quite dominated, but then again, uh, the first group stage, uh, I believe they scored a total of 27 goals and conceded uh, zero against uh, Singapore, Cambodia, Syria, and Afghanistan. So that's not exactly, you know, we're not, not exactly China, South Korea, Australia, etc., but Overall, they only lost uh, one meaningful qualifier, and that was the the second group stage opener against UAE, uh, which they they actually started with the lead and then gave up two goals uh, at their home ground, Saitama Stadium, which was a very scandalous result. Uh, I think, as far as expectations are concerned, I'm, you know, a win's a win, three points are three points, uh, but. It was always a team that was under construction, and Halilhojic uh, was doing his best to figure out how to create this this team and how to create the football that he had in his head. And unfortunately, he was wasn't allowed to finish the project because he got sacked uh, just a month and a half ago. Okay, so with that change, how how do you see Japan performing in this World Cup and? and- what are the expectations there? Looking at a tweet earlier from you today, I saw that you tweeted something about you know the the fact there was only sort of a couple of hundred, I think, um, Japanese fans to see off the team at the airport compared to a few hundred in 2014. So it seems like enthusiasm there has has dwindled a bit in the last few years. It has dwindled. Uh... If you look at the the team's you know, attendances are still high. Every uh, national team game basically sells out, uh, especially World Cup qualifiers. Uh, but fans were very uh, disillusioned by the way that Halilhojic was fired, uh, because whether or not you agreed with the decision to fire him uh, in terms of results. Uh, the way that the the JFA handled it was just shameful. 
and yeah, it, the timing, the timing certainly seems very odd. It, right? it, yeah, it, it was the, the timing was a problem because I think if they had fired him after the e, uh, EFF uh, E1 Championship, which is a, a sub regional tournament for East Asia. Uh, if they had fired him after they lost 4-1 to South Korea, uh, even though the circumstances of that match were different from what most you know, casual observers might think, in that it was a very untested squad of J-League players versus a very experienced squad of K-League players, you, you know, you lose at home a big game at home to your rivals, you, you, it's excusable. You, But in the end... It, the World Cup was only two months away, and as it as it came to light, the reason that they decided to make the, this fire to fire Halil Hodzic was because uh, Shinji Kawa and Keisuke Honda had complained about their playing time and their role in the team. And unfortunately, those two players basically are the face of the national team and have been for the last eight years. So. Uh, JFA president Kozo Tashima can talk all he wants about communication issues between Halil and the players, but uh, in the end, the sponsors played a heavy role in this decision, uh, as most fans believe, and and so that soured a lot of people. And expectations are, quite frankly, very low heading into this tournament, especially in light of uh, last week's two nil loss against Ghana, which wasn't really that inspiring at all. They tried a three-back uh, system under new head coach uh, Akira Nishino, who managed uh, Japan at the 1996 Olympics. And uh, I went to the press conference in which he announced the squad. I went to the press conference in which his hiring was announced. And I went to his first press conference as manager. And quite frankly, uh he hasn't sound convincing in any of them. He certainly didn't sound convincing after the Ghana game. Uh, he said that you know, he wanted to, maybe there will be a miracle, but I'm no miracle worker. Uh, it's just, he, he's not charismatic at all. It's sort of... Kind of being thrown in at the deep end, though. Well, he, yeah, and um, uh, but I'm not quite sure that if, if he had eyes on the position i'm not quite sure this is how he wanted it but they're talking about offering him a contract extension if uh, japan get to the round of 16 and i just don't see it happening um if you look at the other uh, possibilities as to who could have been appointed to that position in such short a time uh it would have been hajime moriyasu most likely who's the current olympic head coach uh but i, I think that he was wise and declining it if it was offered to him because I don't think he wants that staying on his resume. Uh, it's there, There's a lot of politics and a, a, a lot of you know, sort of deep diving that I could do into how the sport is managed by, by the JFA at the national team level. Which We can we, we can get you on for another oh God, podcast. Well, I, I could, that, but, yeah, but, but, but the point is that I'm just, I just want to say that that's all happening in the background, and I think that's what most uh, casual fans and most fans who aren't really attuned to Asian football won't hear heading into this World Cup. Now, as far as the World Cup itself, uh, Japan have... It's not the sexiest of groups, but it's uh, certainly an intimidating group. You've got Colombia, who can, who are the clear favorites, I think. You have Poland, who's uh, 
FIFA rating uh, is a bit inflated, but they're still a top European side. And you have Senegal, who on a good day can can do pretty well. And uh, facing them will be the oldest uh, Japan squad in World Cup history. And right. I, I, you know, there there were no there were no exciting selections here. There were no young players who I would tell you will be stars in the next four years. It's just sort of a grab bag of has-beens and never-will-bees, uh, to be completely blunt. And there are scenarios in which they can go 1-1-1 one, one, and, one and maybe get out of the group. I think a loss to Colombia, a win against Senegal, and a draw against Poland or is probably the clearest path to that. But um, I'm not very confident that they'll pick up a win from any of these games. Okay, um, uh, and what do you see as the sh- as the strengths, if there is any? By the sounds of it, you're 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 not you're not too optimistic at all. So, um, uh, but if you could name sort of one or two strengths, um, and also what some of the weaknesses that you that you see in this uh, in this Japan side that we can expect to see in Russia. I think the the strength of any. Uh, Japan side, and really, th- this can be said for a lot of J-League J- clubs in general, uh, is that Japanese football, it's never really been built on the strength of one star. Even when you had Shinsuke Nakamura in the national team, uh, even when Keisuke Honda was in his prime, and when Shinji Kagawa was in his prime, and when Kazuyoshi Miura was in his prime, and he didn't even play in the 1998 World Cup. Um, you know, you would have the strikers who will score a, a, a ton of goals against the you know, lesser-ranked Asian teams, but they have always been a side who have played greater than the sum of their parts. And if Japan are to get any results in this World Cup, that's sort of how they're going to have to do it. Uh, you do have experience. You have uh, 11 players who were part of the 2014 squad, and I believe five players, I'm saying that off the top of my head, I could be off by one, maybe in the direction of six, uh, who were in South Africa. So you do have a lot of experience there. And... You know, veterans who, who know what to do and who won't be overwhelmed by the experience and the atmosphere. So I think they have that going for them. And, and the fact that, honestly, the fact that expectations are so low is something that could help them. They could come out and it'll be like Japan in South Africa in 2010. Nobody expected them to do anything. And then they went out and beat Cameroon, did fairly well against uh, Netherlands and crushed Denmark. So that's sort of a scenario we might look at uh, as being possible. As far as the weaknesses are concerned, I think you know on both both ends of the pitch are, are their biggest weaknesses. Uh, Japan's midfield is amazing uh, because that's sort of the position in which the, the team has always had the most depth. Uh, the back line is very suspect. Uh, with three backs, it's suspect. With four backs, it's suspect. Uh, and even if you look at the three-back system as sort of a five-back system, it's uh, not really that confidence-inspiring. Uh, and as far as the, the – sorry, uh, I'll, I'll stop there so you can get a question in. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Um, 
I, you kind of well. My last question was going to be if there's any more players to look out for, but early you said there isn't. So uh, is there is there really nobody that we can that maybe you know the regular football fan obviously would have heard of uh, of the main stars of this Japan side, Honda and Kawa. You said that it's, there's not really many young players, yeah. uh, but is there is there anybody that maybe could could come through and make a name for themselves in Russia. the only uh, i think i was going to say the other the other issue that that the side has is finishing uh, as we saw against ghana for example you had yuya yuya osako who just uh, completed a move from Colm to uh, warner bremen and he could do well i think he he's probably one of the better strikers of the three true strikers in, in the side and if he manages to figure out how to hit the side of a barn door, he could have a good showing in Russia. Yoshinori Muto is sort of the same situation. Uh, he's with uh, Mainz at the moment. Uh, you know, he, he's sort of one of the youngest attackers at, at 25, and uh, Osako's 28, but they're sort of viewed as the young guns. I think that the most interesting young player is probably uh, Ryota Oshima, uh, 25 years old. He's only got four caps, uh, plays for Kawasaki Frontale in the J-League. He has been given numerous call-ups over the last couple of years, but uh, he missed most of them because of injury. Uh, so the fact that he's in good enough form to get this call-up uh, to the World Cup and be selected to the squad is is promising. If he gets some playing time, it'll be interesting to see how he stacks up. Uh, but really, the most promising player in this squad, if you want to look at players who will really emerge over the long term, is Kosuke Nakamura, who's the backup goalkeeper. Uh, and he's considered basically the favorite to take over from Eiji Kawashima in the next cycle. So we'll probably see him as a regular Japan starter as early as the Asian Cup in uh, January 2019. But... <clears throat> The fact that I'm telling you to look out for our backup goalkeeper in six months really tells you all you need to know. I wish I could tell you. I mean, there's, they're all good players on paper. I mean, Hiroki Sakai is a great defender. Uh, you know, Maya Yoshida you know, has done very well for himself his, himself at Southampton. Genki Haraguchi is pretty competent at uh, Dusseldorf. I don't know where he's going to end up next season. Gaku Shibasaki has done pretty well at Hitafe. Uh But right now, the squad, they are playing less than the sum of their parts. Uh, and if you can get them to play more than the sum of their, par their parts, they can create something and, and be interesting and put on a good show sort of maybe like Australia in 2014, not necessarily advancing to the round of 16, but still, you know, playing fun football and uh, entertaining the crowd and, you know, making a good show of it. Uh, but it's, it's tough. It's grim. Uh, I am just about ready to throw, put the world cup behind me and look forward to the next generation because I think that whoever comes in as manager in July is going to need to clean house. Well, I'll pass on the good news to uh, to the people I'm recording the, the rest of this podcast with. I'm, I'm sure they'll be delighted to hear of Japan's problems. So, Dan, thanks so much for coming on the World Football Index uh, 
World Cup Preview Podcast. Is there a way that people can uh, get in touch with you, find you on Twitter, that kind of thing? Yeah, um, I guess the, if you want the hottest of takes uh, throughout this group stage, uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Tokyo. That's A-I-S-H-I-T-E-R-U-T-O-K-Y-O. Uh, yeah, my email's on there, so I'm, I'm always happy to uh, yeah do other podcasts and uh, g- give my opinion on what I expect to be a three and out for uh, the Samurai Blue. Thanks. Well, if if you're proven right or wrong, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love you to come back on one of our podcasts during the World Cup and uh, have, and we review just how right or wrong you were. I, I, I'll tell you, I did it. I did another podcast and I, I uh, recorded it before the squad was announced, and I must have gone on for about five minutes about how impressed I was by Shoya Nakajima who was a midfielder, uh, he's in Portugal, and he had a great national team debut in the March Friendlies, and we thought that he was going to be the sort of surprise selection uh, because he's very much in form. And then he just, uh, Nishino didn't rate him at all, didn't think he was versatile enough, which is ridiculous. And so, uh, for better or for worse, my prediction is recorded for all eternity, and, you know, I I live and die by these takes, but... uh, yeah, that's that's the way of things, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. Okay, cheers, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. Okay, so as you as you heard there, um, it, it looks like Japan are probably the weakest of, of these four teams, but who knows what could happen over the next uh, few weeks? I'll just find out where we can find Ryan on Twitter. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at uh, Ryan underscore Hubbard. Um, and I'll be I don't get to blog as much as I used to do now but yeah you can find me always talking about Polish football there okay and um, also Simon I suspect most of our listeners know where to find you by now but for any newbies yeah so on Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF and yeah I've doing lots of bits and pieces preview pieces player pieces up until the World Cup so everything should be there on my Twitter Actually, don't follow Simon as he's catching me up on Twitter followers. <laughs> I should mention that. And, uh, and, and also, where, where, can, where can people find you, Joe? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Joey Lash, all one word, Mr. Joey Lash. Uh, tweet me any questions you have regarding African football uh, from a local level to the international levels as well. And I contribute to a podcast, like I said earlier, Shoot the Defence as well, where I'm the Africa correspondent. So happy to speak whenever. Cool. Check that podcast out. I've heard good things from Simon about it. And um, and also make sure you check all four of those Twitter accounts out that you've heard in the last few minutes. So it's just left for me to say a huge thank you to Simon, Ryan and Joe for coming on this podcast and giving us their expertise. Um, uh, a big thank you from me, your host, Adam Brandon. You can find me on Twitter at... Adam Brandon 84 um, so yeah a huge thanks to our listeners rate and review us on iTunes if you can and goodbye goodbye